0: Correctly with the coachman D twenty
1: radio, your gamer's role. WWW dot twenty radio live you're listening to the order 66 podcast brought to you by gamer nation studios d20 radio and the generous donations of jared williams kevin malone donald weller sean kumar darren Hampton, andy bethel b witzel and balaam's blasters What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those tuning in for the very first time, welcome back to The Order 66. See what I did there? Welcome back when you're tuning in for the first time. Great podcast radio right there. (laughs) Welcome to The Order 66 podcast, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. And I am joined tonight by a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway, my co-host, man of the hour, man of excellent haircuts, Mr. GM Phil.
0: Good evening, Gamer Nation. Welcome to episode
1: one, two, three. Uh, (laughs) Oh, how are you doing, Phil? How are you? I'm good. (laughs) See, see. Uh, I'm I'm doing good. I'm good. (laughs) I'm peeved. We can't. We're not doing a live stream. We had technical snafu. Yeah, we did. Yeah. But,
0: you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out hopefully for the next time.
1: Yeah, I just need to get an external webcam, I think. And uh, to, uh, to 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 uh, Facebook, you need to figure out the firmware issues with certain versions of Windows 10. Just saying. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, we we are thrilled to be back in the airwaves, and we are thrilled to welcome two amazing guests joining us tonight. Um, the first, for his very first time on our show, uh, we're gonna we're gonna be gentle and we're gonna be kind. Um, FFG Zone, Tim Cox. <laughs> How you doing, Tim?
2: I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> well, you, we're we're glad to welcome you. Um we're we're thrilled this is your first time, but we know that can be a little jarring and a little um a little uneasy, a little difficult. And so we decided to uh, assist you by asking a, an OG pro veteran guest to also join you. Um you know, maybe and, and maybe he can show you the ropes. And that would be uh, good, mi- good. you know, Mr. Keith Cappel. How you doing, Keith? oh I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Of course. You've been with us quite a bit, man, but uh, it's been a while since we've had you on.
3: Yeah, I don't uh even remember the last thing I was on for, to be honest.
1: Oh, see, now I'm Th- That hurts my heart. You don't remember? <laughs> I just remember that it was such a great time. <laughs> um we have not had it's been over a year since we've had you on. Uh we had you on in March of 2018. To talk specifically about um, *Donna Rebellion*, you came on with uh, with Huck, with Tim Huckleberry.
3: That makes sense. So, yeah,
1: we're glad to have you back, sir. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Awesome sauce. Well, we have a very specific topic uh, that we want to get into for tonight's discussion, and the reason we brought these two fine gentlemen on the show with us. But Phil, correct me if I'm wrong. We do have some announcement moments we need to get through before that. Part for the course done. Well, let's do some announcements.
3: Hello there.
0: What have we here? Good news. What do we got? Well, starting off with the featured podcast of the week, one of D20 Radio's newest shows is also one close to our hearts. The Guardians of the Wills podcast, the new show from the crew over at The Staggering Dragon, reviews all the amazing Star Wars legends, books, and comics, diving deep into the expanded lore that built the early Star Wars universe. They've just dropped their seventh episode devoted to The Courtship of Princess Leia, So go give it a listen if you have a Star Wars bone in your body. You can find that and many more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com.
1: Yes, and uh, while you're there, remember that d20radio.com is more than just a home for amazing podcasts. It's also the very best gaming blog this side of the Corellian Run, filled with amazing new fan-generated content and articles galore every single day. Uh, This past week, um, our esteemed editor-in-chief and avowed X-Wing junkie, Wayne Basta, released a comprehensive review of X-Wing Wave 4 that dives into the general updates and also updates for each and every faction. Great article, huge, big insights. Um, Also, the amazing Ben Erickson treated us to a new 5th edition D&D hero entry in his workshop series, Uh, this time looking closely at the new background material in Ghosts of Saltmarsh by creating Kelceton, a first-level cleric of Procan with elemental adept capabilities. Uh, It's a really cool look at how to bring some of the new content in Ghosts of Saltmarsh into your characters. So you guys can find these amazing amazing articles and so much more daily over at d20radio.com.
0: And finally, stay in the know by following D20 Radio on the Facebooks for news and podcast info on a daily basis. You can also follow the GMs on Twitter at D20 Radio. We post and tweet show info and announcements regularly.
1: We do. And sometimes maybe we can even do a live freaking show. <laughs> I mean, yeah, those, those could happen every once in a while.
0: They usually do. They
1: almost always do. This is like the first time in forever we haven't been able to do a live show.
0: Yeah, new technology. Go
1: FIG. Mm. More things improve, the more things... be I, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, anyway. <laughs> All right, well, we have a very big topic to get into, so shall we get into it? Please. Let's do it. What are we talking about tonight, Phil?
0: Uh, we are talking about the second entry into Fantasy Flight Games' era of books. And that would be Rise of the Separatists, the first book to dive into the Clone Wars era. Uh,
1: and. We here at Order 66 are very proud to welcome to the show, as we said, a familiar guest and a brand new one, um, again, for the very first time, Mr. Tim Cox, RPG developer, and also fiction producer, I believe, as well. Tim, if that's correct?
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: Um, you know, and you are joining us uh, uh, from, you know, obviously from Fantasy Flight Games for the very first time, and also joining us for his, we did a count, Keith. This will be your eighth appearance on our little program. Oh, jeez. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Um, FFG freelancer, accomplished author, and Jedi Master, Mr. Keith Kappel. Uh, So, gentlemen, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight. Um, Tim and Keith are joining us tonight due to their development on the book that we are going to discuss, as Phil said, Rise of the Separatists. Um, This era source book for the early Clone Wars gives us gobs of new content, fantastic new options that really let us focus our games on one of the most storied and fan-loved eras of Star Wars. Uh, Not only a focus of one of the films of the saga, but an entire animated series, um, as well as numerous comics and video games. Um, This long-awaited book, and also its sequel, but that's a different conversation, um, (laughs) uh, really fuels the dreams of our gaming tables, and we're going to dive deeply into it tonight, asking fan questions and gaining some insight into Rise of the Separatists. Tonight, on your Order 66 podcast, so buckle up.
0: Now... As we discuss this book in depth, we're also going to be uh, relating a lot of fan and listener questions. And we want to thank you all who submitted questions about this book. But we do have to say, so that Tim and Keith don't have to, our fine friends are unable to discuss, answer, or even speculate on any future products from Fantasy Flight Games that has not been announced. So, uh, Scott McFarland, Shack, and Richard uh, Grabo. Uh, your excellent questions about future books, future spec trees, and future career options are going to go unasked tonight. Uh, we won't waste the airtime to get a no comment from the, our fine guests, but we do thank you for submitting your questions regardless.
1: Greatly appreciated. So, okay, I'm holding this book in my hands. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, this is, yes, this is me holding the book in my hands. Um, <laughs> it is, it is absolutely beautiful. Um, Oh yeah. And I, I'd like to, to dive right into this book itself. We we got we got some, some some questions we have as well as some listeners have about the development of the book itself and the design choices. So I want to start with the obvious, the, the hard sell, boys, the book overview. Gentlemen, in a nutshell, what is this book about? If you had to explain to a gamer why they should buy this book, what would you say?
2: Well, it is a supplement for playing Star Wars RPG in the era of the early Clone Wars. So it has everything you need for that, lore, background, careers, uh, new careers, that is, uh, specializations for the new careers, and universal specializations, lots of gear, lots of vehicles, lots of NPC profiles, and uh, some optional rules, and lots of GM guidance. I, I think we packed everything in you, you would need for this uh, time period.
3: <laughs> Keith, what about you? Yeah, man, it's like a, a core books worth of like talent trees packed into one book almost. And uh, uh, did you like the Clone Wars? Because they were cool. Uh, this is the book where you could do a Clone Wars. So. <laughs> you can do a Clone Wars. You could do a I Clone can, Wars. You can do book. several Clone Wars if
2: you put your <laughs> mind to it. That's I'm how scared. much content there is.
1: I've always wanted to do a Cloud War. Um, <laughs> oh, that's that's
0: fantastic. <laughs> so, talking about the you know, now after the hard sell, um, uh, the not-so-hard sell, let's be honest here. Uh, <laughs> well, let's talk about the design for the book itself. Uh, what were the main goals that you wanted to see developed for this book?
2: So, uh, going into it, um, that, as I said in the hard sell, uh, to provide everything um, players and gyms would need to adapt uh, their game and set their game in the uh, early to mid Clone Wars era. So, uh, that means not only lots of new content, but cool, new, unique options that stand out from what's, from the many, many careers and specializations and, uh, other options we've included in previous books, so making it feel uniquely Clone Wars was probably the guiding principle.
0: Uh, jumping around just a little bit, uh, our first question comes from Justin Cole Van Volkenberg. He wanted to know: was it planned from the uh, was it planned for the prequel era to be divided into two or more books?
2: Uh, yes, that decision was made pretty early on in development.
0: Okay. Uh, building on that, uh, Salomar Dre and Crazy Birdman had a follow-up to that goes along with it. What was the design choice between splitting the Clone Wars era into two smaller books instead of one larger one? Uh, well,
2: there are a few reasons. I think it makes for a more accessible supplement in terms of both cost and page count. And really, the Clone Wars is such a huge event and there's so much material for it between the the films and the animated series and the uh comic books and other media that it felt really natural to split that into two uh books and focus those books on different themes to an extent.
0: Were there any hard choices that you had to make when it come when it came to deciding what would be in each book?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so both tough choices in terms of deciding what content might go in one of the two books and also in, uh, what content has to stay on the cutting room floor or there's just not room for, because there's so many characters and creatures and vehicles and droids and gear, uh, and all the Clone Wars media that, uh... As much as we, we tried, there's certainly the occasional uh, n- more niche or, or just uh, maybe less less universally uh, useful for an RPG um, item that we had to cut, ultimately.
3: Plus, uh, like, bloviating freelancers like myself that turn in, like, first drafts that are, like, twice as long as the word count you gave me.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Certainly, uh, <laughs> There there come those hard decisions when you just have too much uh, good content um, to include every word.
1: <laughs> so what you're saying, Keith, is you went overboard in your, in your
3: effusiveness? I, you know, in a way, I've been planning to have this job to write on this book since like 2005. <laughs> so uh, I had a lot of material kind of uh, ready in the back of my head to go, things I wanted to talk about. So
0: yeah, uh, I want to actually mention that. Um, for you, Keith, this is sort of like coming com- uh, completing the circle. You wrote a fair bit of rules and options for the Clone Wars as a fan for the last version of uh, the Star Wars RPG. What was it like writing for this era again in the new in the new uh, the, the, the FFGs version? It was so awesome. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's really all you can
3: say is it was amazing. Uh, Yeah, for those who don't know, I used to run a website with uh, another uh, FFG freelancer, Ryan Brooks. Uh, We used to run a website called Phantom Comics, where we did uh, Star Wars RPG material, like the Clone Wars fan source book for uh, D20 Revised and Saga Edition back in the day. I think we did something like 500 pages worth of uh, Clone Wars material, and a lot of it's bad. There would be like write-ups for Anakin that was like 20 pages long or something like that. Just like... Summarizing, it was kind of like a chronology of that character, though, right? And he had so many EU appearances and we'd like untangling the whole mess that was the the timeline of the EU at that particular juncture. Uh, so uh, to be able to do it like for real was was super awesome. And the section I had, uh, uh, which was like the factions and all that, uh, was great because it was something I could easily use as a vehicle to mention like all these different sort of uh, organizations and, uh, uh, characters and events and stuff like that from, uh, a wide range of, like, canon and lore, uh, like old stuff and new stuff alike. So, it was awesome.
0: Very nice. Um, uh, Ghost of Man and EBAC were curious, um, you've talked a little bit about how you went into deciding what went into this book versus, uh, Collapse of the Republic. Um, he was not planning generally curious about the development process did one feel especially different to develop compared did this one feel especially difficult when uh, or different I'm sorry to develop compared to a civil war era book and if so why so kind of to start off what was the breakpoint as far as like what went into this book and what are we going to see in and what do we see in collapse of the Republic
2: uh, yeah that's a good question so um, like I said it was a uh, uh, choices to be made during development. Um, I, I feel that the, the two books have uh, relatively different themes that helped us assign material to one or the other. Um, Rise of the Separatists is very Republic focused and very sort of uh, black and white. The Republic are the good guys, the Separatists are the bad guys trying to tear it apart. And, and obviously there's some exceptions in the in the material we offer, especially with, like, the the scavenger, who's a sort of fringe um, character, but uh, Collapse of the Republic is a lot more shades of grey, and we have a lot of more options in there for playing separatist sympathetic or separatist-aligned characters, and it sort of shows more about uh, as the war goes on longer and longer, it really uh, shows how horrible that is, and, uh, how devastating for the galaxy. So I think the different themes certainly helped us, but um, some of the, sometimes it just comes down to a a gut decision as to which which book a certain vehicle might fit in, particularly a vehicle that's present throughout the time period, or item, or whatever.
0: How do you feel that, um, how did that fit into uh, the feel of developing this one compared to uh, one of the galactic Civil War era books? Feel
2: really uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I would say it feels different. Um, it's doing an era book is both broader and more specific in some ways. Uh, unlike, say, a specific um, like career supplement or something that's that's sort of narrowly focused on certain character options. We're trying to cover everything uh, that players and gyms might need for a fairly large time period with a lot of events happening, but we are focused on those big galactic events and options that directly pertain to that. So, so it, it definitely feels different. Um, and of course, it's just a, it's a very different setting at the time uh, during the days of the Republic instead of the Empire. So really everything about it is is different, of course. Uh, and it has, has ramifications for everything. Uh, from what character options might be appropriate to how characters might go about getting gear, like being a, like we talk about in the, in chapter two, being a uh, soldier of the Republic is very different from being a soldier for a struggling rebellion that has to right. get their gear any way they can. So yeah, very and, different experience.
3: And Tim, with, uh with these, you don't have the, the luxury that like, say the Dawn of Rebellion book has where like, the three core books can do a lot of the heavy lifting for you on setting uh right because right. like it's really close to the same era and things aren't necessarily that different uh with all the factions and stuff right
2: yeah i think that's fair to say it's um, the characters everything's different to the point where you really do have to sort of work from the ground up to establish
3: what what the galaxy is like at this point in time
1: <laughs>
3: so absolutely and then regarding the crop didn't we have a... Uh, there was, like, some internal discussion, as I remember it, for, like, chronologically speaking, like, where were kind of stuff going in one book versus the other. There was, like, uh, I want to say I remember it was, uh, at least for my section where I talked about a lot of history stuff, it was, like, the Heroes on Both Sides episode, I think, of the Clone Wars was kind of, like, here's sort of the midpoint. Uh,
2: yes, that is the... Uh... Roughly the cutoff is uh, right. those episodes. Like it sounds
3: firm, it's real mushy, but.
2: It is mushy, but um, I, I think Rise uh, has a little bit talking about the uh, Padme's and, and Bon Terry's um, plans and relationship and how that seems kind of promising, and so that's, right. that's sort of the cutoff, and then Claps of the Republic picks up with uh, that. Not working out so well, of course, with the uh, the separatist uh, attack on the uh, public senate and everything.
1: You know, even though both time periods were, I, I guess, more or less represented in the Clone Wars series, although the, I think the bulk of the series was obviously focused on, you know, uh, the what I would say the, the the first book, you know, the rise of the separatists, that early Clone Wars era. I've I've always I, I've never had an issue with the them- clear thematic divide between the two. That is. You know, uh, is really, is some people compare this like episode two versus episode three. No, it's not about that. Episode two was before this. You know, it, it's, it's more Clone Wars versus episode three, where those two dichotomous points. And I always see, you know, if you look at it from like a World War Two perspective, which I know Lucas clearly did. Um, you know, you get the, with the Clone Wars and, and consequently with Rise of the Separatists, it's, you know, Rise of the Separatists, you know, our (laughs) brave boys are fighting out there for you. You know, that with the old, you know, the, like like they would have for the, the intros for the Clone Wars cartoon. But when you, when you, when you get to Collapse of the Republic and you get to that late, you know, late Clone Wars era, it, it, it takes a a stronger turn for the dark. It's almost like that first era and the Clone Wars television show is very much, hopeful, and and yes, you know, we will persevere, we will overcome, the boys will win, you know, as long as they continue to fight, and so will you, and then if you can imagine that, okay, then then the Axis powers win the freaking war, okay, <laughs> it, where it, it, it takes a complete downturn, and it, I don't know, I just, that thematic gap for me makes a lot of sense, and it is a very different tone, I, I see what you're talking about completely.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that comes through. That's that's definitely a, a, a driving factor in Spring of the Two books. Um, so I'm glad that comes through.
1: Yeah, it, it clearly does. And I know we're going to have a separate, entirely separate show to specifically talk about Collapse. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, I, I know the comparisons between the two are, are obviously going to come up and it's there. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. I'm curious about the art when we talk about this general production design and feel like I always love the art and with Clone Wars, especially we have such a large history and art history so much content has been produced. Um, so we always like to ask this question because you know, you guys are, are so heavily involved in the creation. Do you have any favorite art pieces in this book? And uh, I'll tack on to that crazy Birdman asked are there any cool notes or Easter eggs or references in the artwork?
2: Uh, well, one cool note I don't know if people realize, um, which ties into what we're just saying, the um, uh, in-sheets at the front and back of Rise of the Separatists. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first one showing the... And then these also serve as the uh, cover background for Rise of the Separatists in Clubs of the Republic. And one shows the clones in Phase 1 armor charging forward with some Jedi. It's looking pretty inspiring and like, they're, they're taking the fight to the enemy, and then the other one, at the back of the book, is the sun setting, things aren't looking so good, the clones are in Phase 2 armor, so they're really cool pieces that, that illustrate those differences in tone we were talking about, but also they're actually uh, one contiguous piece of art where, halfway through the piece, the, uh, the color palette shifts, and the armor styles shift. Dude!
1: That is really awesome. I'm flipping back and forth right now, that is really awesome yeah yeah so take another look at it
2: uh with that in mind and you'll you'll see how that's sort of showing the same battle scene in almost like a a time lapse
0: oh man i would love to see the, f- the full version of this that's gotta look amazing wow
2: uh yes it is it is uh very cool wow come out really well
0: Dude. uh what about you keith what did uh what what's uh, what are you particularly a fan of as far as the art pieces go?
3: I mean, the I think the cover for Eyes, both covers, honestly, but the cover for Eyes is just so strong. Uh, I really like the Obi Wan piece, and I also like the the Chapter Two uh, 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 plate is also yes.
0: fantastic. Yes, I love that piece. That's that's my favorite, just because of the whole absurdity from that first from the Clone Wars movie where they're writing. Right climbing up and they have got the walker 90 degree vertical and ahsoka and anakin are standing on literally the front of just parrying up uh, front of the walker just parrying away it. it is so <laughs> off the chain and i love that you recreated that it on, on one of these boilerplates it looks phenomenal
3: yeah uh, well, and actually the page before that has an awesome picture of a jedi fighting some droids as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: yeah there's there's a lot of great art but, yeah, I couldn't not, we couldn't not do something with that uh, vertical comic. It's such a memorable, awesome scene. And I think it's really a great a reminder of what kind of cool action you can get into in a, a game.
1: Ah,
0: that's so cool. What about you, Chris? What, what's your uh, favorites?
1: Um, honestly, the, 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 the Chapter 2 Splash is my, is my absolute favorite. My number two, and listen, you know me, I'm not a huge Mandalorian fan. Um, sure. but I have to say that the Django piece uh, on page sixty-two—is
3: um, that the one where he's yoinking the lightsaber?
1: Yes, actually. I, so I, I thought it was <laughs> a, I thought it was a lightsaber, but if you take a closer look uh, upon a second viewing, it is actually a blaster. Oh, it is. Yeah, I know, right? When you first see it, it's like, oh, he's yanking the lightsaber. That's awesome. And they're like, wait a, wait a minute. <laughs> and, a hit, and a trigger. It's got a handle and a trigger. But, yeah, where he's yoinking the weapon, that's just... It's its so Django. It's great. Oh, yeah. It's an impressive right.
2: yoink either way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's an episode title right there. An impressive yoink.
0: <laughs> oh, love it. Alright, so let's dive into the book itself. Um, so... Chapter 1, Heroes of the Republic and our new character options. Not only does this chapter provide new species for characters, but an entirely new careers, which was quite surprising, and specializations for it as well. For new species, you give us four new species that were integral features in Episode 2, three of which are entirely new to the, role-playing game, to the uh, RPG. What can you tell us about the design goals for these species, and why include these particular ones? Uh... What did you hope to, that they would bring to the book end of the game? Uh,
2: sure, yeah. So uh, Kaminoans, of course, were uh, previously introduced and fully operational. So um, that is existing content uh, that appears here. Or at least the, the stat profile is. I mean, all the the background is new because, of course, it's a different, totally different context for them. But um, those uh, are obviously crucial to the Clone Wars. You wouldn't have Clone Wars without Kaminoans, so it, right. it was a pretty obvious uh, inclusion. Uh, the others were were chosen and designed to... Uh, well, the clones, of course, also an obvious inclusion. You can't play a Clone Wars game without clones. But uh, all the species were included um, as I was approached uh, with an eye to uh, giving a good spectrum of new options. Um for characters, so we have the, the clones who of course, are human, fundamentally, but then the Geonosians, again, very uh, integral to the Clone Wars, but also very unlike uh, typical near-human species. And uh, the Umbarans play a big part in the Clone Wars, uh, especially in the, the uh, TV series where we see their Umbara uh, go through the entire process of uh, Changing alignment from republic to the separatists, right? And they represented another good option for a, a near-human uh, species with some interesting twists and one that we had not uh, gotten a chance to explore before.
1: Yeah, I've been waiting for the Umb- do-
3: Umbarans. Oh, yeah.
1: Sorry, no, I said I've been waiting for the Umbarans yeah. to come in. So, yeah.
3: I I love the Kaminoans. They're so creepy. I could see a lot of, like, amoral scientist type uh, PCs that are, you know, (laughs) randomly genetically experimenting on the rest of the party as the adventure goes.
2: (laughs) That sounds like a great character.
3: (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? No. Very like Dr. Krieger from. (laughs) Uh, sort of of situation
1: yes okay No. so back back in years ago back when we only had edge of the empire to work with um i actually wrote an early module um uh called dead man's hand and in it uh i based one of the characters off of a pc that uh, came up in my group and at uh, when i when i created the pregen i just made her a human but uh because we didn't have stats for Kaminoans. But in the uh, home game, the Edge of the Empire home game, we played where I had a player come up with this character concept. They we worked together and kind of homebrewed a, a Kaminoan. and it was a Kaminoan scientist <laughs> whose name was Doctor Moreau. And <laughs> <laughs> nice. And she she was she was a you know a a, a medical specialist uh, in in you know in in Edge of the Empire and specialized in stem application. And it was constantly trying to, you know, listen, I, I want you to try this. I have a shot. There will be some side effects. <laughs> and just carefully observing and constantly trying to, you know, operate on the PCs without their knowledge. It was absolutely fantastic.
2: So- it sounds like a lot of fun and super <laughs> creepy. <laughs>
1: So, okay, we did have some actual listener questions uh, and fan questions about some of the species choices here. Um, to start with the clones. Now, I, I completely understand and I agree. You, I don't think you can make this book without including clones as a species. <laughs> um, I don't I don't think that's physically possible. Um, now, Salomar Dree was curious. Uh, says, you know, what was the deciding factor in talking about some of the actual mechanics of design? What was the deciding factor in giving the clone species, obviously were based on Django Fett, characteristics of two across the board? It seems like maybe threes in broadened agility and one in presence might have been more appropriate.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so the clones are fundamentally human. And uh, not to contradict myself, but I guess there's a world in which uh, we could have just gone with humans as the clones. But because they are so important to it, and because they, they do obviously have a very distinct um, status, being all genetically identical, that's uh, I thought that was more than enough to qualify them as a species under themselves. But they are basically human, and while they certainly have all the potential of Django Fett, um, keeping the standard human characteristic profile of all twos uh, gives them that potential, but it doesn't uh, make them a cookie cutter or or uh, place them into a particular role. And so uh, we thought better leave that to players. So, of course, um, players who want to uh, go all in on the uh, powerful warrior uh, can definitely get to threes and brawn agility, but, um, that's, as with any human, I think that's more a, uh, an element of taking that intrinsic potential and honing it rather than a boom, out of the box peak of three or brawn agility. Yeah,
0: because I think if the, if the the clone, the clone template, clone template for every single clone, whether they're a basic trooper, uh, gunnery specialist, a pilot, a commander. They've all got to start from the same base threshold, and it's kind of like where their focus goes after creation. Um, so, I, I feel it makes absolute sense to start them all at 2s and everything.
3: I, mean, I think there's a difference, too, between uh, the clone player uh, uh, selectable race and the, the clone adversary that's in the back of the book. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, you could spend your starting XP in Pump those add those threes, uh, the twos, the threes where you want them anyway. But obviously a commander is going to need that presence. You can't just start them at a one or something like that, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Fundamentally, I think it's all about um, giving players more options and leading out to the players as to how their particular clone character is going to develop their abilities.
0: Yeah. The players are the exemplary.
1: They are that too. Right.
0: Yes. And look, I'm sorry. These exactly. guys, these guys are clones. Like of You're fives.
3: You're not like random trooper or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And these guys
1: are clones of Django. Guess what guys? Django's a human. <laughs> right. Okay. So Jake was a human. So he, he, he,
2: he has some impressive stats, uh, certainly, but he, he started out the same he's, places he's, as every other yeah, ever human. He started
1: out with all twos. All right. <laughs> okay, it is. Um, now, okay. Now, you bring this up, especially in, in regards to the question around the the adversary clone trooper that's there in the book. And Happy Days actually had a question about this. He wanted to know: can, Do do PC clones, the species, get the benefits and drawbacks of the clone inhibitor chip, uh, like the NPC clones in the adversary section have?
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Good segue. Um, the answer is no; they don't, because, like we were just saying, uh, the PCs are inherently those clones who are special and more suited to thinking for themselves or breaking the mold. And, um, uh, of course it's, uh, it's not very conducive to good role playing to force a player character to follow instructions. They don't want to, uh, and, the, the way the inhibitor chips can, uh, can cause <laughs> and the bonuses of the inhibitor chip. Um, those are, sort of a condensed, streamlined version for adversary use, but of course the the clone uh, soldier specializations have a, a lot of talents that deal with uh, leadership and working together and camaraderie and all that. So um, those sort of for the same purpose of uh, mechanically representing the clone's... Uh, Intrinsic, ten, intrinsic tendency to work together and uh, drive to follow orders, but in a way that lets players customize them more and ultimately think for themselves.
3: Mm. Okay. But, hey, it's your table. If you want to make it something they can buy, I, I don't <clears throat> it's possible, I guess
1: you can always do what you want at your table. Right. Right. Oh, certainly. Okay. I have to, I have to share this. and I think I've actually told this story on the show before, but many, many years ago, before Fantasy Flight had the license for Star Wars, back when it was still with Latsy and they were producing their Saga Edition D20 system game, okay? <laughs> um, and and we, we only even had like two seasons of the Clone Wars at that point. So even the concept of the fact that there was an actual chip that would cause the the adherence, okay, the inhibitor chip, um, that wasn't even fleshed out in the lore yet, mm. okay? Okay. Uh, we had a, a buddy of mine named Tenny, still a very good friend, uh, we introduced to role-playing through Star Wars RPGs, and he he went head over heels, fell in love with it, and decided he <laughs> was going to take the big leap and GM his own game. And we said, great, yeah, and we encouraged him. But he was really nervous, and so uh, with three of us, uh, he said, well, listen, I just want to run a small game with three PCs, will you guys be my three players? And we said, sure, of course, absolutely. He said, I want to run a Clone Wars game, and I want all three of you to be clones. And we were like, oh, awesome, let's do it, Okay. And so we, we made clones. We did about four sessions, and he gave us a, a, a Jedi general as an NPC, and we were this elite tactical squad that would go do secret things. And we had about three or four sessions. And bless him, he really spent time building up this NPC as this incredible, like, mentor to us, and he didn't treat us like clones. He really treated us well, and, and like, you know good building moments and camaraderie and great role-playing, <laughs> And then in the at the end of the fourth session, after we complete the mission and, and we taken out the big bad, we're in this room and we're there with our general. And the three of us, he says, get this communication on our comms. And it's this holographic image of the emperor. And he says, You execute order 66. <laughs> and, and he gives us this look like, oh boy, it's a to get good. What are you guys gonna do? And and you could tell in his head, you know, how he's gonna break with this. And the three of us look at each other. And it was actually Brev who, who who looked at Tenny and said, "I pull out my blaster and shoot him in the back of the head, and I spend the destiny point." <laughs> and 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 I went, "Yep, pull out my blaster, shoot him in the back of the head, spend the destiny point." And, <laughs> and um, yeah, at that point, the poor Tenny, he he was utterly speechless for about five minutes. He had to get up. <laughs> that was that was the last game we played in that campaign too. It was so sad. <laughs>
3: He had to know that was coming, especially if Prev was at his table. You would think.
1: <laughs> you
3: would oh, think.
2: Yeah, that's that is a, a whole a whole issue. Of course, we talk <laughs> about that moment and that situation in Collapse the Republic uh, in more detail, but I think that's a a really good lesson of why it can be good to break the fourth wall, uh, so to speak, and like you know talk with players as a gm we're talking to gm as players and you know make sure everyone's on the same page especially for such huge things because we all have a tendency to assume things are gonna go down like this it's this gonna be super cool and i know i've both the GM and a player had many times where things did not go the way i was uh expecting and it, it can be very disorienting and throw you for a loop so
0: because <laughs> <laughs> players will be players
2: yeah and uh, yeah I could totally say going anyway either way depending on the players they might they might want to resist their orders and go on the lamb or they might uh, murder the Jedi like in that case <laughs> <laughs> actually did they kill him did they succeed
1: oh absolutely I mean okay. uh, um, uh, a- 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 absolutely uh, it was it was yeah it was it was yeah
0: <laughs>
1: it was bad oh gosh. Well, okay, we had one other question from listeners regarding the new species in this book before we move into careers and specializations. Um, Regarding the Geonosians, um, we had a question from Happy Days again. He specifically said, why the decision to make Geonosians flyers uh, while Toydarians, for example, are hoverers? And if you were redoing Toydarians now, would you have made them flyers?
0: That's
2: a good question. Um, Yeah, so uh, Geonosians, um, we felt that flying was uh, a good representation for the way we see them move in media. They, yeah, they, they, they fly. Yeah, they can get uh, a lot of altitude. And I think more importantly for this distinction, they can get a lot of speed going. And with Tordarians, uh, certainly in the in you do seem to get a, a fairly good amount of uh, heights. on oh, Nothing uh, truly shocking, I don't think, in any of the, the episodes. But uh, they, they tend to be slower moving. And the flying distinction gives a pretty, a pretty impressive boost to speed. I think it's moving from uh, medium to short and two maneuvers, or in one maneuver, um, or long to short in, two, in one maneuver. Uh, so uh, that's sort of the crux of it. Um, there's nothing wrong with the area rule. I think it, it represents the way they work fine. So I, I don't, I wouldn't say I see would see us changing that if we were to do them today.
3: Yeah, when I think about the Geonosians moving, I picture them like leaping out of the stands in the arena, like into the middle of the arena in episode two, like a big flying leap sort of situation. Yeah. Whereas like with the Toydarians, I see them like you could outwalk a a a flying <laughs> Toydarian, I think. Yeah, they
2: they hover around but they're not they don't leap to the uh, attack the same way the genosians do. Because
3: I mean, the lore is like their bellies are filled with like helium or whatever, lighter than air gas, and that's right. like what keeps them buoyant or whatever. And their wings are so tiny, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm.
1: Very true. Very true.
2: But yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's uh, it's certainly one of those uh, one of those things that uh, could be argued either way, probably.
0: Mm. Gotcha let's move on to new careers and specializations, and let's be honest, most people were completely and pleasantly surprised to find two entirely new careers in this book. The Clone Soldier, with its three specializations, and the Jedi, with two specializations, as well as four new Universal specializations. Now, before we go into the details of all of them, we have a few questions asking for the overall design goals here. Uh, can you talk to us about the decision to create two new careers and how they seem to generalize a set of skills and abilities that several books worth of careers are devoted to?
2: Yeah, so one primary reason is because our era books are designed to be compatible with all three uh, core books, they need to include any character content that is Vital for that era and that play style that isn't already covered in all three core books Um, so That is the the primary reason that we needed A way to play a Jedi and a way to play a clone soldier included in Rise of the Separatists So that you can use that whether you have Age of Rebellion or Force and Destiny or Edge of the Empire as the core book you're using Uh, but beyond that um uh, Design-wise, we set out to make those both uh, feel very distinct and um, really sort of encapsulate the most iconic uh, things about those character types. So while um, a clone soldier has certainly a lot in common with a an Age of Rebellion soldier, there are certain things that set them apart that we really focused on. Um, Fighting droids and uh, maintain those close bonds of brotherhood, being the, the primary ones, I would say. And uh, Jedi, Jedi career is it's both more broad and more focused in a way than the Force and Destiny careers. It it has to hit all those highlights, all those iconic abilities for Jedi, um, but do so in a way that can suffice for any kind of Jedi character you might want to make, whatever their role in the Order or their focus. Uh, You might not get the same level of granularity that you might uh, with a Force and Destiny career in terms of making a sagely character, but uh, the Jedi career and uh, specializations allow you to hit the Jedi highlights and also focus on particular areas of specialty, such as knowledge and the force versus saber combat, for example.
0: Mm. Um, what character concepts or goals were the two careers based on? I mean, obviously clone wars is clone trooper is the clone trooper. Fill in there. But like, you know, what were the molds here, especially considering that, you know, this not really spoiler alert, but there are other clone Specializations that use the clone career in the next book, Collapse of the Republic. What were your goals for the three specializations that you put in here?
2: Uh, I think this ties in with the whole uh, progressing, developing timeline. So in Rise of Separatists, we focus on three basic sort of uh, play styles for clones the, the leader character, the straight up warrior character and the pilot.
0: Um,
2: Basically
0: so, the CN attack on the clones.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that allowed us to in Collapse the Republic. Obviously, we'll talk about that another time, mm-hmm. but we have the clone veteran there. the uh, clone um, commander. commander. So a higher ranked, more high-level officer position. And the, the ARC trooper, which is again a more a more specialized character so here we in red separate we focused more on the sort of uh, fundamental specializations um, but also making each of those very distinct clone the uh, clone trooper is um, a very durable frontline fighter the uh, clone officer is a very capable squad level leader and the pilot is a very very uh, survivable, um, sort of, uh, mission-focused character.
0: And so we also had a few, uh, generalized career and specific questions, uh, Tal, uh, Scherzer and, uh, Daeglen, they were both curious, with the new heavily-themed careers, the clone soldier and the Jedi, are there any plans or suggestions for signature abilities for these careers? Now... <laughs> Uh, I, I saw them today because a friend of mine had a book that I was at the game that I was at this afternoon. Um, uh, I, I, they, you do have plans for them. They're in collapse of the Republic and Holy cow, are they awesome? But I guess we'll <laughs> talk about those uh, 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 next time. We, when we talk about collapse of the Republic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's it. That, that question has been answered. Uh, in the time between, uh, Asking Announcing, it, announcing this episode, and uh, now yeah, <laughs> now. And and it has one signature ability for each of those two new careers.
1: <laughs> it cracks me up. Normally, when we get a question like this, and when we do it, when we do an episode devoted to a book, we always get questions like this that we always just don't include because mm. you guys can't talk about things that have not been released, right? Um, well, in this case, but in this case, <laughs> <laughs> it's been released. <laughs> so. And on that note, if you if you haven't picked up Collapse of the Republic, uh, uh, Tal uh, uh, Scherzer and Daiglin, uh, yeah, do so. Because <laughs> it's awesome. Those things are o- off the hook. They, they, they <laughs> absolutely are. So, okay, I want to talk about the clone soldier. I mean, you know, this is obviously, we talked about what an iconic species this is for the era, but it's obviously an iconic career for the era in this particular setting. And we had some specific questions about it. Um... First of all, uh, I had a question at at a, at a general career level. I'm curious, can a non-clone take this career and its specializations? And if so, how would you play that out in the game? Uh,
2: so yes, there's no mechanical limitation, no rules limitation in the book, uh, barring that. Um,
1: so there's some interesting options there. Um, I think to 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 play this out at the table. Um, I mean, Phil, have you ever? I mean, what, what would you what would you do with this as a GM? I mean, maybe maybe you have a PC who's
0: trained with the clones or the GAR. Um, yeah, yeah, you could kind of do it that way. Um, for whatever reason, they, um, oh, oh, um, there's a reason... Uh, one of the, the, whatever planet the character is from, they're questioning the training methods and methodology of the clones on Camino, and they demand that one of their, or a few of their recruits go through the same training process to make sure that it's all in the up and up and worth the cost or all that kind of sort of thing.
3: Ah, interesting. Or, uh, maybe you're part of a, uh, a, a local resistance group that was trained by the clones to, uh fight the separatists on their own, right? Sure. Or maybe you're a mercenary uh, 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 person that Jango Fett recruited to sort of be one of the people that trains the clones, right? Uh, So obviously you would fight in a very similar way. Uh, There's a lot of stuff you could do, I think.
1: Maybe uh, Jedi General Rom Koda, uh, you know, who didn't trust clones uh, and got his own militia, uh, sent him off to the GAR boot camps for training. Ah, a ding ding. All right, we had another general question about the clone soldier, um, coming in from Happy Days. Uh, he specifically said, "Why did you yeah. why did you choose to grant the clone soldier career medicine uh, over melee?" Uh, he said it seemed like an odd choice, as all clone soldiers carry combat knives, but only a few are medics.
2: Uh, yeah, that's that's a very fair question. Um, melee certainly would. Makes sense, although it's not generally where clones focus their combat abilities. Uh, and while medicine also isn't necessarily a focus for all clones, it's something they all pick up. It's important be able to do basic field first aid uh, for fellow wounded soldiers. And uh, so, narratively, a cause uh, a case could be made for either. Um, but of course, one one design uh, goal is to make sure careers have a good variety of skills, and the clone uh, soldier is already pretty heavy on combat skills, and so uh, that's why the decision was made to not include melee in addition to brawl and ranged heavy and ranged light.
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean, really, it had to be a choice between brawl and melee, I imagine, right? And I think that's
2: fair to say, yeah. And, and I
3: think brawl comes down as, like, that's what I would have preferred, I think.
2: We see clones punching and uh, fighting with improvised weapons and stuff uh, a lot. I think more than we see them using combat knives right. in the media. So
3: I mean, the, the only thing I could really think of is uh, them using, like, the butt of their rifle, maybe, to bash somebody. Or, uh, 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 you know, sometimes you get the, the guards that have the batons or something. But, like, yeah. those guards probably would have a different uh, uh, specialization that would grant them melee, I imagine, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, of course, while uh, career skills get a nice... Um, XP reduction, there's nothing to stop a, a player with a clone character from taking a couple of ranks in melee if they think that's a good fit for their character in the way they fight.
3: True, true. Hmm.
1: The very first time I saw an episode of The Clone Wars was the very first episode of The Clone Wars. Uh, which, <laughs> which had Yoda in it. And if you guys will recall, it was a wonderful, cute little episode where Yoda got to know the clone troopers on a personal level and one of them got injured and actually had to do some medicine on himself in the very first episode and actually rig up a crutch, if you guys will recall. Mm.
3: Oh, yeah. A little battlefield medicine. Yeah.
1: Little, That's a great little, example. little battlefield medicine. And none of those guys were medics. Um, but they did it. Interesting. Okay, so continuing in the clone soldier career, we had also uh, a couple of questions specifically about the clone pilot specialization. Uh, the first one comes from Ghost of Man, who says, and I was kind of excited, this is the first time we've seen barrel roll as a talent, <laughs> um, as opposed to the old snap roll house uh, house rule maneuver that Phil, you actually pioneered um, in Star Wars, and then we see a different version of it later in Genesis. <laughs> yep. Um, what was the thought process behind this? Is, is there a thematic intent, a mechanical intent? Are there any concerns of a kind of power creep, as this is a new thing for Star Wars and only one tree that's that's kind of specific to a certain species, although not so much since we kind of went over that. <laughs> um, but yeah, talk to us about this.
2: Uh, yeah, so like you said, it's, well, it is specific to the the clone pilot specialization that's no more restrictive, really, than any other specialization. Uh, any species yeah. could, could take it, whether or not they're of the clone soldier career. So it's it's out there now. So uh, that's one reason why it's not a power creep concern any more than any other cool new talent in a new specialization. <laughs> um, you don't have
0: but, to be cloned to pick up a, a specialization.
2: That's true. Yeah, if, if you... Think for whatever narrative reasons that specialization is a good fit for your character. You can always take it as an out of career specialization to get that talent and the others in the tree. But uh, as far as the thematic and mechanical intent, the clone pilot has a has a pretty strong focus on uh, survivability, not just for his own sake, but to support his squad and his team and I think that comes through in several of the uh, talents, such as the uh, mission-critical talents, uh, fire supports, um,
1: uh,
2: assault drop, uh, and barrel roll uh, is uh, very much part of that theme in that it, it helps the clones stay alive, and with the kind of battles that clone pilots are going to be flying through, uh, we have a lot of huge battles and a lot of capacity for very dangerous situations in the Clone Wars, uh, which, which means a character can really benefit from a little extra survivability and staying power, and <laughs> especially if that character is transporting the rest of the, the PCs you don't want them going down too quickly. So, having an extra option there for survivability was a pretty natural choice.
1: Makes sense. Now, we had a related question uh, having to do with barrel roll as well from Strider's essay. And he says If a pilot is flying a Silhouette 4 vehicle and has the Tricky Target or Pride and Joy Supreme talents, uh, which obviously can, can effectively reduce the silhouette of the vehicle you're piloting, does the reduction in silhouette when he's attacked mean he can do a barrel roll incidental if the ship takes damage?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the answer is, uh, so for Pride and Joy, there's, there's two talents mentioned, so we'll talk about this separately. For Pride and Joy, uh, the answer is yes. Um, the wording for Pride and Joy, I don't have it in front of me, but it's it's a very broad um, uh, rule that applies to combat and movement. So it's clearly very broad. Uh, I don't see any reason why this particular talent wouldn't benefit from it. Okay. Um, And the answer is also yes for Tricky Target, actually. Um, Barrel is used during the attack. Uh, Tricky Target uh, doesn't have any particular restrictions on what it does during the attack. Uh, It doesn't say that it only applies... Um, from the, uh, It doesn't say that the attacker counts the silhouette as. It doesn't say that it's only for purposes of calculating difficulties. So while primarily, it, uh, in most situations, all it does is uh, impact the difficulty of the check uh, combined with uh, barrel roll. It would let you use the barrel or talent in a vehicle that's actually a silhouette 4.
3: And, like, what do you see Han Solo doing in the Falcon a lot? He whips that freighter <laughs> around like it's a starfighter. So, like, I think it's thematically appropriate to Star Wars in general. Couldn't agree more.
1: Could not agree more. And, again,
2: if it helps keep the uh, the rest of the PCs alive while they're all passengers, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I think we can all appreciate that.
0: Now, as a suggestion, would you, would you... Yeah, because folks were saying, okay, this talent only appears in the clone soldier, clone pilot talent trait. Um, a creative GM could easily just, you know, it, it's they have it in here. You have it in here as a 15 XP talent. Um, someone with a piloting career or some other career like that, they could try to find a way to just swap out a talent from one of the other existing pilot careers and put just at least even the basic barrel roll in there. Um as a swap-in, swap-out type thing, but, you know, one thing GMs could do is, you know, take a good look and make sure that if you're putting this in place of something, make sure it's going in place of something that's really cool already. Um, Don't swap it out for, like, another rank of Skilled Jockey, for instance, or another rank of Gearhead. You know, make it something that, that, that that's memorable, you know?
1: Well, and I want to throw this out here, too. Like, look... When I talk, when I look at the clone soldier career, the where my brain went is all of these specializations should be able to at least in my games be applied to stormtroopers, okay? And sure. the the reason, Ooh. I mean, I mean, why not? Okay, the, the, these techniques or these specializations were developed for or by the the GAR, who became the Imperial Army and became stormtroopers, which means these same things are going to be taught. When I see Han Solo whipping around in Millennium Falcon. I know for a fact that he went to the Imperial Flight Academy, okay? There <laughs> you, <know>. you go. <laughs> you, you can't tell me he doesn't have ranks in file clone off the pilot, and it's the Imperial Pilot talent tree. And I'm sorry, that's a three-talent dip down to get barrel roll. And I have no doubt with the Falcon, he also has pride and joy. Supreme. So, <laughs> I mean, it makes total sense for me.
2: That is, uh, yeah, that's a fantastic way to look at it. I like that a lot. There you go. So it's a, a good, another great example of a way to, uh, if you are interested in this specialization or any of the specializations, uh, a good way to make it work for your character even if on first glance your character isn't a clone, so why would they have this? Well, there's one great uh, way to explain it.
3: Yeah, I mean, if it helps you to like call the tree the Republic Pilot talent tree, like there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Okay. Sounds good. So let's talk about the other career. Um, near and dear to my heart uh, the Jedi with a more (laughs) generalized look at the film focused version of a Clone Wars era Jedi Uh, first question uh, was from Dale Gunn he was curious what were the design considerations for the Jedi career
2: Um, yeah so I think I might have touched on this earlier but uh, basically I needed to feel like playing a Jedi be able to do all that iconic stuff Jedi do and uh, the films and the series. Uh, it needs to feel or it needs to be distinct from the Force and Destiny careers because it coexists alongside those in the game. Uh, and um, particularly for the specializations in this uh, book, Padawan and Knight, uh, one important design consideration was to make uh, Padawan a fun, uh, cool specialization uh, and useful specialization in and of itself, so that a uh, player uh, would enjoy playing a Padawan for its own sake, not just as a, a way to get to Knight. And uh, a character, a player would want to stay in that specialization, even past getting Force Rating 2, and even so characters uh, might be both a, je- a Knight and a Padawan in the same group, uh, without feeling like one is overshadowing the other or anything. So. Yeah,
0: because the the Padawan talent tree, you go down, especially towards the bottom of it, it's very Ahsoka. Yes. It's yes. Very Ahsoka. And you could tell, like, whoever was playing Ahsoka was just like, a stick in here. There's some fun stuff here. Yeah, so- something,
1: something to prove is brilliant.
0: Yes. Loved it. And I also loved and, and thought it was uh, uh, ingenious to have the night tree and consequently later trees and collapse of the Republic have a force rating prerequisite to get into them. Yeah, uh, I, I thought that was a very elegant way to to handle that. Yeah. Can we talk
1: about this? Cause this is the first time we've seen that kind of <laughs> advancement or, or cross specking prerequisites in any career ever. Can we talk about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it is. It is the first time. Uh, and um, it's, it felt very natural for the, the specialization. Um, and it also allowed us to go a little all in in the specialization. There's a lot of potent talents and the, the night specialization as there should be. And that prereq, uh, both allows us to do that and also ensures that playing a night feels like a knight. Um, has the the force
3: rating uh that you would expect and you can't get force rating to just from the padawan right so yeah you have no, you, to go oh, you can
0: you can it's it's actually the cheapest way you can get force rating in any book
3: yeah because
1: you start with a force rating one and then you get a plus oh, okay. plus one force that's rating. Right. Down yeah. at, uh,
0: that's right like 15, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 45, 45 XP in your force rating too
2: yep that's correct but uh, oh, yeah, again, is. it's a I would fun that, specialization in itself, so... We'll and I would also say that from,
0: like, from a character standpoint, from a, a Game Master perspective, just because someone spends that 45 XP to get Force rating 2 doesn't mean the next time they get 20 XP, they should be able to buy right over to Jedi Knight. I mean, mechanically they can, but I think a good Game Master would sit there and go, but you haven't gone through the Trials yet. Or maybe they can buy into the Knight class, but you know, just like how Anakin wasn't a Master... You're not a real Jedi Knight yet. You may start picking up the talents for that, but no, you're not there yet until you do complete the trials.
2: Oh yeah, those those are both great examples. I uh, careers and specializations are a, a, uh, one of the great versatility is about them is that they can represent with a very literal uh, in-game title, but also a set of abilities and um, just like you said, uh, just because a, a Padawan has started uh, getting those talents doesn't necessarily mean they've completed their um, training. But also, yeah, if a and player want to work together and say uh, you can take the, the knight specialization once you've completed your training in-game, that's a, a great way to link a an in-game narrative event to a big change for the character mechanically.
3: Mm -hmm. But even, like, conversely, if you stay in the Padawan tree and never leave it, like, that doesn't mean you can't be considered a Jedi Knight, uh, narratively as well, so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But when you get that, um, it's only when you complete the trials. Uh, Eowyn asks, how do the lightsaber forms from Force and Destiny interact with the Jedi class? It seems logical to me that the Jedi should have a discount for these trees.
2: Uh, yeah, that's a good question, and that's probably a pretty common question, too. Um, there aren't any special rules for a Jedi career character taking a specialization from Force and Destiny. Obviously, a lot of them are are a really good match, and personally, I might consider, um, giving them an XP reduction, uh, on the cost to acquire a specialization if it is just really perfectly suited for that character, but, um... But, uh, by the hey, book, you would pay as, like a
0: universal tree for them instead of a, an out-of-career tree for them instead of an out-of-career tree, maybe? Uh,
2: yeah. Well, I'm, personally, as a GM, I tend to make allowances for players if it's integral to their, uh, or important to their, career, to their, their concept. And, uh, so I see Jedi, uh, just like any other, other career, um in that regard, but, um, the the additional 10 XP, taken out of career specialization, it's, it is a cost, but, um, you can think of, of course, as the, uh, the cost for diving into a more narrow focus as a Jedi, and... Uh, sorry, that's my train of thought. Pay your
3: XP. XP. (laughs) Pay your XP. Um... XP is
0: free. There are no levels. There are, you're not going to miss it. Right. Just play I mean, another adventure. There's
3: yeah. no weird like XP economy where it's like, yeah. oh no, I've maxed out. Just pay your 10 XP one time and call it a day. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Fundament- like two hours of play or whatever. <laughs> or one hour yeah. of stellar play. Like just pay your XP.
2: Fundamentally, I think it's. Uh, of course, it's nice to get that little discount for. Purchasing in career specializations, but there's a lot of specializations out there, and uh, you know, don't limit yourself to only those within your career. If you see another one that's fitting for your character concept, you pay a little extra XP for that additional versatility, but uh, you get you get that extra versatility.
0: A last question concerning the Jedi career comes from Dale Gunn, who wanted to know how does Circle and Shelter. Circle of Shelter, and Peerless Interception Interact. If you have Peerless Interception up, does Circle of Shelter get the benefit? Uh,
2: Yes, absolutely. So uh, Peerless Interception is one of those new signature abilities we mentioned earlier. And uh, it uh, has a lot of cool um, bonuses for uh, using Parry and Reflect. And uh, those would still apply just as much if you're using Parry to... Benefit an ally via Circle
1: of Shelter.
0: Totally makes sense. Totally
1: makes, makes sense. Absolute sense. I have one final comment on the Jedi career. I and this is so snark. I, I'm 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 thrilled that this is out because we can finally tell a certain class of players to very. I, I don't mean this in a harsh way to, to shut up. Uh, <laughs> and 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 here's what I mean. In my time with this system, I've encountered two class of players in regards to Jedi. If, if you released this career, the Jedi career, at years ago as, as you know, in Force and Destiny, and th- this is how you play a Jedi, you would have had an entire half of your player base going, this is crap, I want to play a Sage, I want to play a, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't get detailed enough, it's not specific enough, it doesn't let me branch out enough, Okay. Now, at the same time, you've got another subset of players who say, well, this is crap with seeing what's in Force and Destiny. They say, it's far too disparate. Oh, I can't, I can't, I, I just want to play a Jedi like what I see on TV, right? And we now have options for both player types. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, there you go. Different, <laughs> uh, different routes
1: for uh, reaching the same goal in a way. Exactly. So uh, for that reason alone, I was I was thrilled to see this option in here. And you know, it, and it's no, it's no, there's no wrong way to do it. It's just different expectations in terms of how people want to play a Jedi, and a Jedi is such an integral part of this dang setting. Um, <laughs> and, and and of course the game. So now now we kind of I feel I feel like we have all our bases covered. Does that make? I hope that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, I think so. Very, very pleased. Now, we have even more bases that I didn't know needed to be covered, but gosh darn it, after a reading about them, I'm sure glad they're covered when we get into the, <laughs> into the universal specializations, because this book had had four new universal specs in it. Uh, we had the four sensitive outcasts, the Republic Navy officer, the Republic representative, and the scavenger. Um, we did have one specific listener question about the scavenger, but before we get that, talk to us about these universal specs. What can you tell us about them and their overall design goals?
2: Uh, certainly, um, yeah, so, uh, two of these obviously are Republic, um, officials in various capacities, (laughs) and two of them are fringe outcasts, not necessarily aligned with the Republic or the, uh, CIS, and, uh, that was, uh, important to, because, of course, uh, this book is um, should support all styles of play, including uh, the edge of the empire sort of classic approach of being uh, criminals or ne'er-dwells or other other outliers, and having a having specializations in there that don't uh, implicitly bind you to the republic was important.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Um, the representative. Republic representative is of course a very socially focused character uh, more so than the any of the clone or Jedi specializations so that was uh, very much the focus in that um, designing that specialization uh, the Navy officer um, what is a uh, Actually, one I really like because it uh, supports a very sort of higher level approach to combat, but it's a character that's also very versatile and uh, can really be very effective in both uh, the planetary assaults that they're clearly ideal for, but also actual, well, the the space assaults, as well as actual Mm ground-based battles thanks to their various... Leadership focused talents, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
3: Ordinance saturation, my my favorite new ability. So. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Uh, but the
2: the design goals with all four of these was making uh, specializations that feel very suitable to the Clone Wars this time period, and find four good ways to take characters created with the careers. Uh, that already were in the game in the three core books, and uh, really fine tune those for the Clone Wars by just adding another specialization. So you could take any sort of uh, diplomat or any sort of socially focused character and make them a uh, representative. You could take any sort of any sort of military character or pilot character and make them a, a navy officer. Uh, scavenger is a good fit for. Any of the more tech-minded or more uh, criminal-minded <laughs> types out there.
1: So, and, so uh, as far as as far as scavenger, actually, if if I can really yeah. for just a moment, we, we actually had a question specifically about this. This was our one specific question we had from Rimson. He said, what was the design intention behind the scavenger, which you're obviously talking about? And did you have any specific characters in mind, he assumes from the canon, when you chose this universal spec? Uh, anyway, keep up the good work. Great book, he says.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, so the scavenger wanted to include a character that wasn't aligned with the Republic or the Separatists, more of a, a fringe, the Empire type, like I said, uh, but one that we hadn't done before. And... Um, we do see a few scavenger types in the Clone Wars. I think it's a, a Trandoshan captain who's John scavenging next, right? early on and picks up R2 after a battle. Uh, so he's definitely part of the inspiration. But, um,
3: Wado? Uh,
2: Wado, sure, yeah. Um, it And it makes a lot of sense just as a as something that's going to be in the galaxy during a period of prolonged war like this. That's going to create a lot of potential salvage, a lot of uh, wreckage, wrecked ships, um, weapons and armor left over after battles, and, uh, and people's normal livelihoods are disrupted by this, this huge conflagration uh, covering the galaxy. So desperate people might be pushed to undertake this line of work.
3: Um, it so feels a lot like episode one Anakin as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's there's definitely a little bit of that in there. Yeah, someone who's in desperate circumstances and by tinkering around gets to a pretty good level of uh, technical know-how.
1: I have to say, and on this, the, the Exceed specifications and Improved in Supreme are just fantastic talents. Like, I, I, want, I want to as, as a GM, I want them to be used at my table.
2: Yeah, I, I'm pretty fond of those. Those were a lot of fun to to develop. Um, I, I would love to to see those at my table or or play them in the game as well. They're just uh, they introduce a lot of fun, especially the Supreme introduces a lot of sort of unpredictable uh, yes nests to <laughs> uh, gadgets, which is always fun.
1: Yeah, it's just absolutely great.
3: Gambling wow. talents are fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, awesome.
0: So, finally, the last thing that we get from this chapter is the addition of bind and enhance force powers. They're reintroduced in Rise of the Separatists. Obviously, enhanced first came in to be with Age of Rebellion and later in the Force and Destiny core rulebook, which also introduced us to bind. Uh, were there inclusions in here based on what we, you know, the, obviously enhance is a is a really a core Jedi power, uh, and we see that all throughout episodes one and two, and all throughout the Clone Wars as well. Um, and uh, what was the thought about including bind in in this book? Uh,
2: bind uh, is as much as enhance is an iconic Jedi power. I think bind is a very iconic. Uh uh, not necessarily Sith, but Dark Sider or power, and mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: that was a pretty, pretty essential inclusion <clears throat> to make the Force-sensitive outcast complete. I think because yeah. those those are very uh, morally ambiguous uh, characters, um, oh, right up to more overtly Dark Side. Uh, so, uh, yeah, whether it's um, a, a character inspired by. Uh, Savage Press or Asajj Ventress um,
3: sure.
2: uh, could be represented with Force-sensitive Outcast and any characters like that.
3: Bind is a pretty, pretty essential ability. And it is, uh the move Force Powers in all three core books, isn't it? Yeah. yes, it is. So that's yes. like that would be the other like yes. you must have this. Yeah, but it's in all core books, so you don't have to reprint it.
2: Right? Yeah, uh, definitely, because this book has to be self-sufficient uh, since Enhance uh, and Bind weren't present in all three, they need to be included to uh, let Jedi characters do everything they need to do.
1: Gotcha. Wow. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Morally conflicted from my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Um uh, <laughs> Well, all right, this brings us to uh the the sexy sexy uh cover art of chapter 2 Weapons of War. Um mm-hmm. which appropriately included all those sexy weapons and gear. Um so there was an obvious focus on on Clone Wars era weaponry and gear. Um I and guys, I love the GAR inclusions like the DC series of blasters. Um yep. uh, talk to us about the design mm-hmm. goals here uh for PC equipment. Um, was there an overall theme to it? And were there any standout favorites for you guys in this chapter for both of you?
2: Uh, the, the overall theme, uh, goes hand in hand with the the goal, I guess you could say, which is just to include all the essential kit for the types of characters we've included careers and specializations for. So that's why we had to have lightsabers. we had to have all the, uh, armor and weapons for, uh, at least for phase one clone trooper uh, gear, as well as a few uh, more diplomatically uh, focused or um, fringe gear for the uh, those specializations for a representative and scavenger, <laughs> which is why I think if I had to choose a, a standout, uh, it would be the scavenged clone armor, because I just love that idea of buying <laughs> or salvaging yourself some, some secondhand clone armor and uh, making it work as, as best it can, even though it's never going to fit you right. If you're not a clone.
1: <laughs> I, I, I have to agree. And I, I actually, I've, I thought the stats were very elegant because it's, it's half the price of phase one, but mm-hmm. you, you got that extra point of encumbrance and fewer hard points it, it was, yeah, it was well, well designed. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's a great deal. It's just a, a little worse.
1: <laughs> Keith, did you have a, do you have a standout for equipment?
3: Um, actually my favorite thing that's in this chapter is the, uh, the sidebar about all the different like loadouts and how the economy is yeah. different. Yes. And, uh, uh, like if you're on this mission, you should have this because I feel like it's, uh, the Clone Wars is such a military game, and unlike the Rebel Alliance, the Republic is, you know, reasonably well-funded. So uh, uh, you're issued equipment instead of really uh, uh, forced to make purchases, right? And I think that's, uh, like, it sort of changes, or it should change some player mentalities around, like, hoarding weapons and, uh, uh, you know, hoarding credits so that they could buy weapons. Like, that's a motivation <laughs> of, especially Edge of the Empire-type games, and I feel like... Uh, uh, I'm just really glad that's in there. Yeah, I
1: I couldn't agree more. I I I absolutely love it. Where you've got you've got loadouts for issued equipment depending on the mission type the team's about to go into. Yeah, it's it's great, truly great. Um,
2: who
3: uh, who worked on this part? Was it Marker?
2: Uh, so the the gear section, uh, or well, chapter two is um, mostly uh, Jordan Goldfarb on. Oh, okay. Uh, equipment and uh Jason marker on vehicles uh, and then the the bit we're talking about I have to give actually thanks to uh, our playtesters who observed the the need for more guidance on how clones and jedi and other republic officials would would get their gear and why they wouldn't have to pinch pennies so that's something uh, I actually added definitely in response to uh playtester feedback
3: Nice
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So we did have an actual couple of questions from players specifically around um, uh, weaponry and gear uh, from listeners. Uh, the first came from uh, Wilhelm Screamer. He was curious. He says, the DC... <laughs> I can't do the Wilhelm Scream. Um, that's, that's a good name. <laughs> great. Yeah, that, 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 that is one of the winners of forum handle names for Star Wars right there. Um, the, he says, the DC-15A um, has autofire while the longer DC-15 does not, even though it has cumbersome 3 like a heavy blaster rifle. Was this an editing error?
2: Um, uh, no, it's correct as it's printed. They're distinct weapons from each other and from the the basic blaster rifle and heavy blaster rifle in the, the core books. And the 15A has uh, auto-fire, but the DC-15... Hits a little harder and uh, is more accurate with better range. Yeah. Uh, But those are correct.
3: Okay.
1: And then we have a hypothetical uh, (laughs) uh, coming in from Happy Days. He wanted to know, what price and rarity would you assign for buying Camino and clones uh, of Django or any other types?
2: (laughs) That gets into
3: sketchy territory right there.
2: It, it does. That's a really interesting question.
3: Um, we
2: uh, wouldn't really think it's appropriate to include prices for buying sentient living beings. Um, if that came up as uh, a part of a game, it would just have to be the GM's discretion. Uh, obviously, with the, the Republic, they're negotiating for, for huge quantities of clones. If uh, If characters were trying to buy individual clones that could be a very special situation that requires some, some work by from the GM.
3: <laughs> I, I, yeah, as a yeah G- the, the R and D cost is built in for the clone army with like that total price, right? If you're doing like one unique. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so
2: yeah. yeah. Buying in bulk is very different. So, and yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I don't, I don't, know Again, that I, I don't know that I would ever put a price or rare. I mean, it's like if, if that situation ever came up as a GM, it's like if if i mean it, it would be that would be the reward for a massive quest there would not be credits involved <laughs> it would be like oh we can do this for you but you could never afford it so here's what you'll do and then we can right. do this for you
2: <laughs> yeah that might be one way to handle it um yeah but uh yeah it's uh it's ultimately uh as key pointed out kind of a a trick a morally tricky area and it's just outside the scope of the book, really.
3: Although lore wise, the Kaminoans don't only uh, clone sentience, right? Like you can clone a super rancor or something, I guess, if yeah. you wanted to. Yeah. There's like there could be a whole cool campaign where you have to go like capture creatures for the Kaminoans to experiment with or something like that. That could be cool. And
2: then yeah, the the rarity and cost of course depend greatly on the specific creature and also if it's just a, a straight up purchase, or if the PCs are helping out with research, yeah, bringing in uh, samples or something. Maybe they get a capture
0: nice a
3: way. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, something that would have a a, a, a price and a rarity because, as as Chris pointed out, that's the that's a campaign. Right. That's a, that's a story arc. It's not something like, oh, I'm going to go to Camino and and like I have this you know five hundred thousand credits that I want in a Saba game. I'm going to go buy myself a a clone or something. <laughs> I don't think the Kaminoans have a showroom.
3: No. You know? I mean, Obi-Wan had never even, like, heard of it or knew anything about where it was, right? So it's clearly not a a well-known place.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a a very story-specific situation for individual games.
0: So... We're moving on to um, uh, near and dear to my heart section, the starships and vehicles. You give us lots of amazing new starfighters and vehicles. <laughs> uh, any favorites? Any particular uh, ones that you talk up to? It's enjoyable?
2: I, I would probably say the Venator, because I've just always loved Star Destroyers and all their <sighs>
0: uh,
2: shapes. And
0: uh, I gold. was so pleased to finally see Venator stats for, for this system. I, I've, I've been hunting because I'm I, I've I've been a fan of the Venator as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I I love those huge triangular spaceships.
1: <laughs> we all have the thing that drews that drew us to Star Wars as children.
3: For Tim it was triangles. <laughs> <laughs> I was working on shapes. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Keith? Uh, I love the LAT. I'm so I I mean what yeah. better party ship is there? I guess,
2: uh, or shuttle. And but that's uh, obviously an integral you. You oh, couldn't God. do Clone Wars without without the, right. the lot.
3: No. no, no, It's the space Huey. Like it's it's, <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: it's one of the many many great Star Wars designs. Uh, so that's yeah, that's far and away my favorite.
1: I was happy to see the hover tank.
3: Oh, the right. AAT.
1: Yep, yep. The at, the at one hover tank. Yep. The at.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the at. <laughs> I was happy to see the ATTE. I dig the. Uh, I dig that Walker. So I love that design.
3: I also love that oh, the yeah.
0: Charger C seventy
3: combat retrofit, which is like a weird, obscure EUE kind of thing. Like that, yep. that made it in was was pretty awesome. <laughs> I think I talk about it in my section
0: later. Nice, nice. Awesome. So, moving on to some of our listener questions. Wilhelm Screamer's back, and he wanted to know, why is the MTT Silhouette 3 in this book? As it seems like a much larger transport than the something the size of a Starfighter. Uh,
2: yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's It's a fairly compact... Narrow profile vehicle, um, and we felt silhouette three was a good representation, but it's it's certainly on the the boundary and it's
0: on that it's important.
2: Cusp. yeah, it's on the cusp, and it's I think it's good to remember that silhouette's a very general and abstracted measuring tool. So, there, especially with those sort of edge cases, you um, uh, just
3: really uh, really want to be do... You really, really wanted to do barrel rolls? Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's 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 S silhouette what, three. You could definitely do it right? if, well,
2: if there's a, a PC with barrel <laughs> in the pilot seat. That sounds awesome.
1: <laughs> well, okay. Look, the 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 MTT is supposed to be the mirror of the lat. Okay, I mean, I mean, it's it's the it's it's the it's the the the, the droid version of a lat. Okay, but. I can't Technically, but so you so I, I found I found it reasonable. They were both the same silhouette, but it is a bigger vehicle. But you guys accounted for that biggerness and that bulkierness by one giving it a much reduced max speed and also an awful handling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, truly awful handling <laughs> for for a silhouette yeah. three. Uh, yeah. More hull as well, right? Mm hmm. Yep. Like 10 points more hull and five points more strain. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh,
3: yeah, I, I like that.
2: Uh, that's a great way of looking at it. Um, but yeah, it's it's got its def- its uh, ways of protecting itself, which it needs because it is it is a slow-moving, unwieldy vehicle. Yeah.
0: Uh, Happy Days is also back with a couple questions concerning the Arquitans-class light cruiser. Um, the Arquitans from Dawn of Rebellion has a crew of 750, while the Arquitans from Rise of the Separatists has a crew of 100. Is one of these an error, and if so, which one? Um,
2: uh, yes, the the one hundred in Rise of the Separatists is an error. It should be seven fifty like in Dawn. So that's something for the uh, reprints to correct.
0: Errata. Uh, also, considering the difference between the two of them, the Argentons in Rise of the Separatists has limited ammo three for its concussion missile launchers with which, with Link 3, means it can only fire uh, three-quarters of a single salvo. While the Arkitans in uh, Dawn of Rebellion does not have a limited ammo rating for its concussion missile launchers, which is a ten previously seen in larger ships with such weapon systems, should the Arkitans uh, from Rise of the Separatists have the limited ammo quality removed as well? Yes. Okay.
2: There we go. <laughs> there we go. It's a long question with a Short answer.
1: Easy, easy. <laughs>
0: Irata.
2: I appreciate the attention to detail though. <laughs>
0: yeah. Alright, so we, we just got through all the crunch, and thank you for sitting with us for that, folks. Um, now let's get into the second half of the book. <laughs> the Spark of War, and we're actually running Clone Wars campaigns. Uh, starting with the Spark of War, this chapter is a wonderful font of varied information a little bit narrative backstory and inspiration drivers, a little bit gazetteer with advisory uh, adversary stat blocks aplenty. Uh, it dro- dives into the Republic, the Confederacy, and all that is in between. Uh, what can you tell us about the design goals for this chapter and the special things you really wanted to include in this book and why?
2: Well, uh, the, the primary goal was to condense all the information about the the lead-up to the Clone Wars and the the early part of the Clone Wars to provide all that context for GMs, um, both in terms of concrete details and uh, thematic and other inspirational um, material for GMs. And uh, one thing uh, I really wanted to include was a lot of... um, Detail on the structure and makeup of the Republic and the, uh, CIS, which, uh, Keith did an excellent job of providing.
3: (laughs) Aw. Uh, yeah, when I was working on this, I think my main goal was, uh, uh, to give people sort of this big, uh, bird's eye view of how these organizations sort of like work so that, uh, uh. If something comes up in game, the GM could sort of has a structure to improvise whatever they need around. Whether they need some sort of committee or subcommittee in the Senate, or if they need uh, 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 you know some part of the Jedi Order in the archives. Like I wanted to give them uh, a bunch of different tools to help them uh, uh, run their games, and also like I wanted to uh, especially pay details because like we have a Republic representative class in here. Uh, you know, Age of uh, uh, Age of Rebellion has a lot of support for those kinds of characters as well, and I wanted to make sure that there were uh, uh, things for those characters to do in the Clone Wars and explain what sorts of things that those kinds of characters do, uh, where they do them, how they do them, all that sort of stuff. So, making the Senate sort of uh, uh, interesting, uh, I, I almost treated it like a, like I would like a location book or something for the Senate. Uh, where I wanted to have like uh, just stuff for them to do, uh, and yeah, just I gave uh, the other thing I did was provide like a bunch of little like, well, if you're not a clone in the in the Grand Army, you could certainly still be in the Space Rescue Corps or the the Beru of Sig Spice and Slavery or the Senate Guard or the Royal Guard. Like I wanted to give these other like quasi-military organizations that are real friendly to uh, Parties of Adventures. Uh, the Sector Rangers is another one, right? Or the Judiciary. Uh, you could be like pirate hunters for, the, uh, uh, for them. So yeah, I wanted to just give a lot of spark a lot of ideas for campaigns or play.
2: Yeah, and that's all really great stuff because there's a lot more to the Clone Wars than just big battles with clone troopers and Jedi. So, uh, that's what's so important to include all this other stuff. Which, yeah, like you said, Keith, that's some really great opportunities there for uh, diving deep and doing a a wandering, uh, adventuring party sort of deal with uh, PCs and one of those organizations.
1: Right, dude. The the politics, the espionage. The I mean, there's yeah. It, war, wars are about so much more than what happens on the battlefield. Yes.
2: Yeah, all the detail in the Senate, very important for those characters, because that is such a huge part of the story, as you see in the the films and the series, the politics is, and the...
3: Taxation of trade routes. Yeah, (laughs) that's what it's all about. Everybody's favorite part of Star Wars. (laughs) Tim, I was so excited when you said I got to write a whole page about it. I was, you know, as you can imagine... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is it is integral to the story so no making it interesting was not challenging in any way shape, or
1: <laughs> i was interested oh thanks Mish-
3: mission accomplished this yeah if i'm I'm a, I'm a bad sample size though <laughs> <clears throat> and i got to just do a lot of fun eu stuff too like palpatine's inner circle references like yeah. ours dangor and chanik uh Saint pestage and all those guys and yeah, I had a lot of fun with the sidebars because I kind of got to go go like way into nitty gritty weird stuff that people haven't heard about for a while. This chapter has an impressive
2: sidebar rate. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. No, it's to, good
3: for that subtle dig uh, in mean, at my love of the sidebar.
2: I, I... Might have cursed you a bit during layout. But I think it's all <laughs> that. <professional>, that
3: <laughs> I can imagine. I like them because I know you can just cut them if you don't like them or there's not space. I think that's my favorite part. Is like, he'll just put this in. I'll take up space in someone else's
0: section. fix <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll it in
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So years from now, you guys are just going to publish a book of just sidebars. Right, Keith's
3: cut sidebars. Keith's uh, cut.
1: Keith's cut sidebars.
3: I could probably fill a book already. I would. I would guess
1: from uh, uh, that is an awesome idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> At what point is a sidebar stopping a sidebar, though? If it's
3: no, I want the whole book sidebars. to just be the gray and white sidebar uh, <laughs> layout. The whole book is it still a sidebar if it's all like. <laughs> That's why you have to put in one paragraph
0: that's, like, actual. Oh,
3: okay, <laughs> the intro. Yeah.
0: It's got, you gotta have an intro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we did have a couple listener questions, specifically re- relating to some of the stat blocks and adversaries we had in here. Uh, Wilhelm Screamer asked, Why is General Grievous' brawn 5? Dude punched a giant dent in a starship with his bare hands and tossed Kenobi like a toy in Revenge of the Sith. Whoa, 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 whoa.
1: Well, so he's saying it... F- does
3: Do he, he want it higher than five?
1: He wants it higher than yeah. five? Yes. So he, he
3: thinks.
1: <laughs> he thinks General Rebus is as strong as a Rancor. I know. Grievous is strong,
2: but you know, if you look at the full picture, he's got, I think, four ranks in Brawl too. He's a very strong guy. Well, whatever he is. Um, but eh, he's not a Rancor.
0: No, he's not.
2: He's he doesn't not. have think- that much raw strength.
0: Never mind the fact that if you layer on, like, a six or seven brawn, that means he's rolling six or seven dice with lightsabers.
2: That's true. (laughs) I mean... The weapons he's often using, it's...
0: He's mean enough. Denting... He's already terrifying, yeah. He is terrifying. I mean, arguably, denting the fighter like that is superficial damage. Right. Mm. That'd be
2: great use of just some advantage to add a cool narrative flourish.
0: exactly. Exactly. Uh, you you, you uh, actually that was probably that was probably a result of threat he missed hit his ship so hard to dent it and probably caused some strain damage that's true that.
2: that's true that's true it's, it's his own ship so yeah it's not what you want to be doing
0: no <laughs> so
1: yeah I just I read that question I'm like wait a minute uh, looking in the books a
0: rancor is a brawn of six seriously <laughs> <I don't. laughs> Uh, Happy Days is also back with a question. Uh, As the Vulture droid starfighter and the Hailfire tank show that Separatist droids are available for purchase, what price and rarity would you assign to the B2 Super Battle droids? What about the rest of the Separatist droids? Would you consider making a table listing the price and rarity for these droids for inclusion in Errata? (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, that's an interesting question.
2: Um, These... Battle droids generally aren't going to be for sale on the open market. Uh, now, yes, we do have prices and rarities for the uh, the vehicle, the droid vehicles, which is really because that is a standard part of our vehicle profile. Ah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, B two super battle droids. Um, if that comes up in your game, I would suggest looking at the the costs for battle droids we have in existing yeah. um, books used as a starting point. But um, it's, again, a little outside the scope of the book because most characters, even those aligned with the CIS, aren't going to be purchasing individual battle droids. Especially so it's just ones. Yeah, Plus, it's, it's uh, just
3: a bit outside the scope. It's a bit tricky, too, with the battle droids specifically because wouldn't you need, like, some kind of droid control signal and like isn't there a lot more to it they're not just like regular droids uh, i
2: think you kind of have to buy those in bulk though. So.
3: right besides
0: who's going to sell them
3: right i mean yeah, you I know, can scavenge right? some and like do your own thing but that that That's sounds sca- like that sounds like using a talent of some kind to build a a narrative B two battle droid or whatever from scavenger parts. The right?
0: separatists aren't selling these things on the open market. They're they're anything that they build, they're using. Right.
3: Oh yeah. And their uh, price per unit is probably like nothing because they're stamping out such an insane number of them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If the PCs are involved in uh, buying or selling aftermarket battle droids, that sounds like a great story hook. But uh, yeah, there's no not going to be a standard price for that.
1: Yeah, very cool. So that brings us to the very last chapter of this book, which was equally epic. Um, it, <laughs> it really focuses on GM tools to make a Clone Wars campaign epic and, and meaningful for the players. There's there's sections here on how to utilize the different core rule books in the supplement, troop play, um, using Nemesis correctly, because we have some pretty boss ones in here, even, <laughs> even though Grievous' brawn is only five. Um, uh, yeah, but there's also, I love, like, there's a real focus on film serials, uh, which are, a, a, a you know, a, a great passion of mine. Um, and, um, and, and of course, as, as I know we'll talk about probably in depth here, large-scale battles. Um, and then, of course, at the very back of the book, even more adversaries. Can you tell us about the design goals here and in this chapter?
2: Yeah, so in this chapter, we were just trying to give uh, GMs a lot of different tools to run games that aren't just successful, but feel like the Clone Wars uh, series and Attack of the Clones. Uh, so of course the, like the film serials thing, um, not only were film series a big inspiration for Star Wars, but the Clone Wars series really taps into that very obviously with the way they start out their episodes with the sort of a uh, newsreel <laughs> type um uh, set up. So, uh, and it, it's just a format that lends itself well to RPG campaigns too. Yeah.
0: I love the true play.
2: Yeah. The, the true play is
0: great. really cool concept.
2: That was
3: John Dunn, right?
2: Yeah, that was, uh, John Donne. And, uh, that came out of, um, uh, Again, a way to sort of simulate what we see in the series where you'll have different episodes focusing on different characters and very different sorts of arenas. And it's a good way to let the players have their uh, their feet in both the political realm and the battlefield realm and whatever Experience else. Experience the
3: company. whole of the Clone Wars.
2: Yeah, yeah and not, not feel locked into a specific type of adventure or limited because... Of the career you chose. So you could, you might have different characters with very different careers.
1: And let's talk about what it is, because we haven't really said that for those who may not have the book and, okay. are, and are interested. <laughs> I mean, the troop play, there's this whole section here that, that Dunn did on basically, you know, having a, a it's incredibly broadcast of characters in your game so that you can switch scenes back and forth. So basically, you've got each player managing more than one character. So You know, I I love this idea, especially for really experienced groups uh, and and players, where it's like, I want to build a Jedi, but I also want to build a scoundrel, but I also want to build a noble. I mean, okay, build them all. Everyone. You know what? Everyone. Build three characters. Radically different. And, you know, you can create little troops and jump back and forth between them. I think it's awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a great summary of it. Um, Yeah, it is is great for more experienced players, uh, especially, Uh, and um, it does let you yeah indulge all those different <laughs> character concepts you have uh, at the same time in the same campaign and just sort of experience the whole variety of adventures to be had in the Clone Wars
3: I think it'd be cool to do like a heros on both sides of this where like
0: uh. you're playing
3: uh, one group on each faction right uh, so you're you're constantly trying to like undercut the other set of uh, The other party, the other troop of characters.
2: Oh, yeah. I think that'd be a lot of fun.
3: Oh, yeah. There you go. So, like, you're playing in the separate Senate, and you're, like, trying to get more reinforcements sent to this planet that your other clone characters and Jedi characters are actually fighting on or something like that. Like, that could be interesting.
1: So, Keith, before we get into running large battles, can we talk about the sidebar, which is is still in the, the film serial section? for droid phalanxes
0: oh
3: it's my favorite thing in the whole book i'm so glad i (laughs) made it in Uh, oh
0: man i I dig these rules
3: i i don't know how uh uh tough it was for tim to find space form but it was an idea (laughs) i had like kind of early on right it's another sidebar that i did uh and i was like man i have this cool idea for what i want to do just just let me do it and if you don't like it throw it away i don't know but like I wanted them to make it in the book way really, really bad. Because it just seemed so simple to me. And it, it seemed like uh, 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 I wanted there to be a, a better way, th- or a different way than mass combat rules to sort of uh, uh, simulate what you see, these big sort of columns of droids that just march endlessly at the clones. And like in the original uh, movie, you see it in a lot of places where it's just like five clones holding out against this enormous army of droids. Uh, you get, like, that scene a lot. And mass combat is really, like, big groups versus big groups. Mm-hmm. And minion r- rules are great as well, and so are the squad and the squadron rules. But this was sort of like for an asymmetrical warfare where you have a small group of PCs versus a giant group of enemies. Uh, and, like, I'm just I'm very happy that they're here.
1: That's
2: yeah,
3: not- well, it's, uh, like you said, a very uh,
2: iconic sort of battle scene you see in the... The Clone Wars media, um, and uh, below the level of mass battles, uh, really sort of another layer on top of the normal minion rules to very easily, in a way that that doesn't create more work for the GM, uh, and lets the players experience that really cool feeling of fighting endless waves of droids. Uh, and this is also something that uh, the playtest has responded really uh, positively to. So uh, I knew we had to fit it in and fortunately found room for it.
1: Um, I'm so glad you put words to one of my likes about it, It which is which is asymmetric. It makes it makes an asymmetric battle viable because using these rules, I can throw 40 battle droids at a party of four PCs and still or make 400 it, or 400. Yeah and still make it a fight the PCs can, can win or survive.
2: Yeah, like yeah. win. Yeah. Right, because the, the win condition is obviously saying other than kill all the enemies, which right. <laughs> is, is a good thing, uh, just in general, I think, to just to put that in your games, not make every fight a fight to the last uh,
3: one standing.
0: It kind of reminds me of those tower defense games that are out there, you know?
3: Yeah, kind of right.
0: You got guys who is like set up like in, 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 in entrenched positions, and uh, they, they just have like all these automatic weapons and, and resources and stuff, and they're just fighting. And and you know, it's it, maybe the GM says, okay, you need to hold out for twenty r- uh, for like ten turns, right? Um, and they just don't stop coming, you unless you mow them down, right. Yeah. yeah, I
3: mean, the, the one scene in particular that I had in mind when I was doing them was uh, the Battle of Christophsis when you see them on the bridge yes. uh, mm-hmm. coming toward the Jedi. Yes. Like, that was the one that was most firmly in my mind. And then later in the movie, you have, like, Rex and, like, three other clones. They crash in, AT- or in L.A.A.T., and uh, uh, they're, like, literally surrounded on all sides by, uh, uh, by droids, and they just have to hold out till I think, Anakin gets there with the Twilight to a rescue them, uh, So, it's yeah, it's really made for situations like that. But you can use it. I'm sure players and GMs are going to find all sorts of weird creative ways to use them that I didn't initially intend.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Yeah, it's so-
2: another great tool to keep in the uh, toolbox for GMs.
3: So related to this,
1: uh, I had this later in the show notes, but since we're talking about droid phalanxes now, I wanna, I'm want to. i going to move this question up. We did have one listener question specifically from Ghost of Man, and he wanted to know how would blast weapons interact with a droid phalanx?
3: Yeah, I was so angry uh, when I read that question that I didn't think about that when I wrote them. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, it came up on the forums, I want to say, a while ago too. And I think the easiest, most elegant solution is just have them impact Whatever the, the row, the, the width size is of the phalanx, mm-hmm. have it affect like twice that many droids, probably. Because they're packed, so it's close together. I, I think it would affect like a lot of them. So I would just, if it's a, uh, uh, if the phalanx is too wide, then it would affect four. And if it's eight wide, then it would affect 16, maybe. You know,
0: mm. uh,
3: that uh, not that you want to set an eight wide phalanx against your PCs, they will die. But, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's probably how I would handle it. Just double the the, the width and have it affect that many. Uh,
2: yeah, I think that's a good uh, good approach to it. I I don't feel like it's an oversight in the rules per se or anything, though. That's just a, a specific situation where GM will have to make a call as in many situations to decide how many minions are engaged together. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: you might even uh, kind of simplify in the sense that, you know, have it still affect the same number of, of in- individuals in that row. But if you have the result where, you know, if you wipe out an entire row, if you wipe out two rows, if you wipe out an entire row, they lose their maneuver. I would say that if you wipe out an entire row with uh, blast weapons, it's as if they wiped out two rows.
3: Right. So they get moved back one. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like a cool thing to do. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, like with any any
2: rules uh, <coughs> subsystem, uh, it need there'll be situations where the GM just needs to uh, decide what makes sense, and it might depend on the maybe if they're B one droids packed very right closely together, the GM might decide they affect more than if it's uh, B two droids or maybe space that a little more, or and the
3: weapon might change it too. Like if you're hitting them with a starship weapon or something, you might decide. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah. You know, that, that it's going to affect quite a few more than, say, a grenade. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: It's fantastic. Okay, so this chapter ends. Well, the, the very end is obviously an adversary section where we've got some G.A.R. and some 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 separatist droid threats and great adversaries to be thrown in. But before that, we have sections on, on running large scale battles and, and short behind that. And obviously closely related optional rules fighting in squads and squadrons. Um, we, we have formalized in this chapter, these optional rules for, for basically this form of mass combat. Talk to us about this.
3: I actually wrote those way back in the day for, uh, uh, the age of rebellion, mm-hmm. uh, GM kit. Yeah. So, uh, that was a nice little reprint to discover, uh, that was going to be here. Uh, <laughs> Those are the rules that have probably generated of anything I've written the most questions on the forums. (laughs) I didn't actually read them closely to see if you reworded some stuff. It was only like my third job ever with you guys, I think, when I wrote those. So I'm sure uh, uh, there were some better ways to word stuff. But uh, uh, Dan Lovett clark I think, had the original idea for those. And basically, you just uh, uh, trade the offense of uh, minion groups making attacks, allied minion groups. For defense, they're they're uh, uh, heroic, heroically sacrificing themselves to save you. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean they're they're really useful uh, for for adding survivability to your players if they're in a really dangerous spot, or uh, to NPCs that you need to make sure don't die because we do present some iconic sort of NPCs, and if you don't want the players to accidentally murder Asajj Ventress the first time they see her, <laughs> uh, just Give her a squad that can take those hits for her. <laughs> you know, yeah,
2: what? and they're, they're they're a great way to represent the the scenes we see a lot in the Clone Wars where uh, important characters are fighting and all around and their allies are chopping like flies. But um, you know, they're they're there helping them fight and they're contributing even though they're not the focus. They're not gonna survive the battle. But uh uh like you said it's a way to to handle that uh without uh, somewhere between handling it narratively or bogging the game down with uh lots of minion groups trading
1: fire which can take up a lot of time at the table um yeah, yeah i want i wanted to call it i i know it's a reprint here but it's it's a it's a um, I was very pleased to see it in this actual era source book because not everyone out there is us who are going to buy every single thing that is produced ever, including the GM kits. Um, yeah. You know, the, the truth is for for a lot of players uh, and game masters, if they already have one GM kit from one of the cores, like like Edge, if they started there, they may say, you know what, I don't need the Age of Rebellion GM kit, in which case they never would have been exposed to these rules. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. thrilled that they're out there in, in another source that's going to be more commonly purchased.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, it's a, a great rule set. Um, it's perfect for uh, big battles. Uh, somewhere below the mass battles rules that have appeared in a few products, including uh, across the Republic, but uh, it's a great way to represent small-scale actions or just zoom in on the PCs and their immediate uh, allied troops. Uh, this is also something, actually, that was uh, requested by playtesters. Um, for the game. So I have to thank them uh, again for
1: uh, lobbying for that. (laughs) Very cool. So that is this book, uh, gentlemen, Uh, to you and, and my God, every other amazing developer that worked on this um, excellent uh, part one of, of sort of running awesome, Clone Wars Adventures of Badassery but I mean you know for obviously John Dunn Jordan Golfarb, Sterling Hershey uh, Monty Lynn, Jason Marker who are obviously not with us um, all of you uh, and you two of course did a phenomenal job so great work guys and thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about this um, it is highly appreciated um, your time is valuable we know it
2: <laughs> uh Thank, thank you. It was uh, great to be here. And I, I would extend uh, that thanks to all the writers, all the, the artists, uh, my great uh, art managers, uh, Crystal Chang and Preston Stone, um, who uh, worked within the office with all of the, the great freelance artists who contributed the book. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of, of people that go into making these books what they are, and I appreciate the contributions
3: from everyone. <laughs> and the playtesters that liked the droid phalanx rules and made sure they got it.
2: <laughs> yes. Big thanks to the playtesters.
3: Specifically just those ones, though. The rest <laughs> of them. No, I'm kidding. rest of all can go to hell. <laughs> <now. laughs>
1: so, Phil, you are an individual dedicated to the Clone Wars era more than most. Um, uh, aside from maybe Keith and Ryan. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> from your side as a fan, any other final
0: thoughts on this book? I think that this is a great book to kick off a uh, Clone Wars era campaign where you can uh, get out there and fight with your brothers in arms and fight with the Jedi against those damned Separatist clankers.
2: (laughs) Fantastic. I couldn't ask for a better review.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very well said.
1: Very well said. Well, now is time to bring to an end this uh, episode of Epicness. Uh, Once again, we at The Order 66 Podcast would like to thank Tim Cox and Keith Kappel for their time, for all of us. Uh, It's greatly appreciated. And if you're listening to the show, we want you to become a member of the Gamer Nation. We want you to visit us at d20radio.com. Check out the other great podcasts on the network. Check out some awesome articles and blog entries. Head to our forums if you want to go old school. Register, post your mind, or find us on the Facebooks. Uh, That's uh, The Order 66 Podcast uh, on Facebook. You can follow us. Um, also, uh, you can find the D20 Radio Facebook group, which is a very thriving social media hub, um, as is the D20 Radio Discord channel. If you guys have any questions or other suggestions or show topics, you're welcome to email us GM Chris, GM Phil, or GM Dave at d20radio.com or call us, leave us a liner, tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. 262 <laughs> D20 Radio. That's 262 320 7234. And with that, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming.
0: And this is GM Phil. May the dice be with you.
1: You've been listening to the Order 66 podcast brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William Files. This podcast and
0: related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited, and its content is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order 66 Podcast and Gamer Nation, LFC.